and welcome to Sunday on the Pod with Casey, Flo, and Rosa. Welcome back to Sunday on the Pod. Sunday on the Pod is a podcast all about musical theatre. However, this podcast isn't just for performers, but it's for anybody who loves musical theatre. Each episode, we cover musicals that some of you may love, some of you might hate, or maybe you've never heard of them before. Either way, we will be singing and dancing about it. If you don't already know, we pick a musical and we discuss its plot, the show's creators, dissecting specific songs lyrically, musically, delving into any juicy gossip from past-present productions, and my personal favourite, putting on our very own casting director hats and choosing a fantasy cast with our magic generator. Woo! So, what are you waiting for? Sit back and enjoy the pod. And just a huge thanks to all our listeners for supporting the show so far. Uh, We are currently on a bit of a drive to boost the audience for our little show and we need your help. All you have to do is after you've enjoyed an episode of Sunday on the Pod is either rate and review us wherever you listen, share us on social media or just recommend us to your friends and family. These little things go a long way to increasing our listenership and helping the show thrive. Just a reminder as well that we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and you can find us at Sunday on the Pod on Insta and Twitter and on our Facebook page Sunday on the Pod. All linked below. So I'm sure you're all waiting with bated breath to hear what we're going to be talking about this week. And it is, drumroll please. Drumroll, 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 drumroll. <laughs> Songs for a new world. Woo! <laughs> it almost feels like we have to do like a woo after we announce what the episode's going to be about. Have you heard? <laughs> yes, yeah. I also feel like I might get a little drum. For every, time yeah. every time I introduce, just have a, my own little drum roll. You never know, there could be someone at home right now with a mini drum set. <laughs> every single week they wait, they wait till that very moment and then they go, woo, at the end like us. <laughs> <laughs> if that's you, let us know. <laughs> and we will buy the drums off of you. <laughs> um, I am so excited to talk about Songs for a New World uh, this week, actually. It feels, I feel like I've been coming into a place in my life at the moment where I'm ready for like a you know when you feel like you're ready for a big change I feel like I need to move to Spain and rehaul my life I need to repaint my bedroom (laughs) yes (laughs) that's a flow coming for Casey today because she's uh, a DIY hell (laughs) (laughs) I can seriously relate to that though because I definitely go through stages where I'm like right that's it I'm sick of wearing the color blue I'm gonna start wearing pink and I'll do something like really <laughs> silly and be like right that's it and like I feel like I'm starting a new chapter yeah I mean like are you talking about it like you'll solely wear that color like you know there's that woman in Brooklyn who only wears green exactly I'll make I'll make a I'll make a special effort to wear like a particular color because I believe that it will change like my mood but then after a while I'm like well I might as well just go back to wearing black because it goes with everything so when I was a teenager I'd get that feeling and I'd rearrange my whole bedroom Mm. and I'd be like this feels so much better I feel like a DIY goddess but now that I have my own apartment and it's kind of like Half the contents of my living room is in my kitchen. Half the contents of my bedroom is in the living room. The and now I'm just like, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> that Well, that's the thing is when you're like halfway through redecorating or like rejuvenating your room and then you're like, oh my God, it's actually 10 o'clock. 
and all of my stuff is still on my bed <laughs> like this yeah when you realize yeah. how much you have to do to be in bed and like asleep suddenly it's just hellish but also how much crap I have as well like what like even just reorganizing my drawers I'm like why do I have all this stuff and it just takes hours and then people at home are like it's so easy and I'm like sorry how are you like this you must be you must be wired differently because I take hours to sort out anything I know and then also you always keep stuff you're always like oh I really can't throw that out because I'm gonna need it someday and then you do throw something out like I've never used that and then like a month later someone's like oh do you actually have like a four-headed USB cable and you're like oh I did and then I I checked it out (laughs) exactly but also even for like auditions I'm like I could need that old baseball top. Like, I could be seen for an audition for that. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. A League of Their Own, the musical, is going to come out. I'm going to need that baseball top. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? It's all making sense. Oh, dear. I would, I would love that, by the way. That would be an absolute dream. A League yeah, of that is musical. like your dream show, Casey. <laughs> it is. Although there is. Do you know what? Somebody did on ye old youtube there's like an old <laughs> sample of somebody i think they've done like two or three songs it must have just been like a quick little workshop thing or maybe like fans that have, have tried something out but they, there's like three a league of their own musical songs on youtube and they're quite good really oh that sounds yeah. good well maybe like put that out on social media we'll do like a link and see what yeah. people think yeah. that sounds so it's... good i actually uncovered the other day me and uh my cousin slash flatmate uh Ewan were out having drinks in Brixton and he was like oh oh we were talking about like how many voice notes that you have on your phone that like are unlabeled so I label all my voice notes because it's just like I have like feedback from uni there I have like songs that I've written I've got like so much stuff mainly like if I've given directors notes or something like I'm I've got it logged. Ewan has like 300 and none of them are named. So he doesn't know what any of them are. And I, like I uncovered, <laughs> yeah, I uncovered two songs that I had written that were um, based on an episode of the Twilight Zone. And oh it was kind of fun. Like it was, I mean, they were, there was like the first ever songs that I wrote, I think. So like they're, they're shaky. They're shaky. <laughs> but it was kind of fun to like rediscover that. And then like there was a few bits where I was like, oh, that's actually quite nice. And it was like back when I was still singing as well. So I had recorded the demos and I was like, oh my God, like check her out. She can sing. sing. (laughs) It's really fun. Well, I would love to hear these. I feel like we should do like a Rosa episode where it's like, get out all your old voice notes. People at home, make a poll. And if we get, I don't know, a (laughs) hundred people voting, (laughs) I'm going to probably wipe that away because that probably probably not the best thing we to get, kind of we'll push. do it for our uh 100th episode maybe i'll there you um, go it'll be a rose special all my old old bad songs <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what though i i didn't really listen to the whole um the whole album of this until you suggested doing it um because I, I i know a couple of the solo songs from songs from mm. new world but i'd never listened to the whole album like all together it's all making sense now it's all making sense and also people's audition pieces they're like it's a song from a new world I was like oh my god that's that song that that person sang however many years ago it is it's one of those shows as well that's like kind of popular but within musical theater circles definitely like I feel like a lot of other people know like in mainstream culture like they know the last five years they know other Jason Robert Brown shows but when you're like oh songs for a new world 
it's like one of those things it's like unless you're in the know in the industry yeah unless you're VIP like you'd have no idea yeah absolutely <laughs> VIP <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's a really it's a really good show actually and like I was I got the idea to cover it for an episode because like I had just listened to musicals all day like while I'm at the office just because I can't be alone with my own thoughts um and I always like pick like a new like one every day to just like run down the full gamut of and I picked this and I was the same as you as like I had listened to I would say the majority of it just as like standalone songs but I purposely listened to it from start to finish and it was really interesting for reasons I'll go into later about how like all the songs (laughs) connect and how it's actually quite important to hear it like in sequence yeah um what about you case what were your thoughts because you were kind of unfamiliar as well weren't you You yeah I yeah I was kind of in the same boat as of flow like I'd heard a couple of the songs and kind of um we'd sang a couple at college actually um and then I was like oh I didn't realize that was from that and it was kind of one of those situations but I don't know I never really gelled with it completely apart from a couple of the songs which I will go into later. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, I I love a good through line, and I after listening to it for this, I was like, oh, okay, I can see the, you know, the connection. I just, if it was me, I'd like it to be presented in a little bit of a different way. But I'll get into that after you've you've sort of yeah I mean like what a a song cycle is and everything yeah and I think that's obviously the thing isn't it is it it's not the typical musical because it doesn't follow like a linear plot and it doesn't yeah follow a like typical character arc so it almost takes a beat to get into that way of thinking I think and like Mm -hmm. having to instead listen for story you're almost listening for theme or you're listening for like little hints of like more emotional yeah exactly yeah. so it's like a different way of listening I think you have to do it. that's why I, I think like obviously I've I've seen um a couple of like Amdram performances of it I've never seen it um when it's been like staged professionally um but I think it's I almost prefer listening to it rather than watching it it that makes more sense to me it feels like a you know like an album like I'm trying to think of like an iconic album that like is structured quite well so like maybe the Velvet Underground's like debut with Nico like that is an album that like you are meant to listen to like start to finish it's not just like a collection of random songs mm-hmm. it has like a bit of a something behind it do you know what I mean yeah um but anyway let's shall we just bloody well crack on <laughs> let's bloody well crack on then so Songs for New World was written and composed by legend of musical theatre, Mr. Jason Robert Brown. It was actually his first ever produced show, which really shocked me because I just think you think of Jason Robert Brown as like one of these kind of composers who've been around for so long. He's like such a fixture, like he's up there with kind of like Jason Robert Brown. He is Jason Robert Brown. Uh, <laughs> There's actually two Jason Robert Browns. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, Sondheim or kind of any other musical theater giant where you kind of think of him as like just always have having been there yeah um, but it was his first ever produced show and it was produced in 1995 at the WPA theater um in New York off Broadway for a limited run of three and a half weeks 
and the original cast comprised of Brooke Ashmanskis, Andrea Burns, Jessica Malaski, which I've always thought was a great name, Jessica Malaski. Jessica Malaski. She sounds like a detective or something. Um, and <laughs> Billy Porcer. They also featured Brown on piano, which I think is quite sweet. And it was directed by Daisy Prince, who is the daughter of, of course, the kind of musical theatre and theatre producing giant Harold Prince. Um, kind of side note, who is your favourite Nepo baby? Oh, that's really interesting. I know, I was just thinking about it when I was like, oh, Daisy Prince, Harold Prince. Oh, there's so many that I think of when you go, oh, they're a, ne- they're a Nepo baby. And then you're like, oh, but it's okay for them. I'll let them off. Yeah, exactly. It's okay for them. That's the, always the thing, isn't it? There was a show I recently watched um, called Daisy Jones and the Six. Mm-hmm. And the main girl who played like the leading singer in that, I think is somehow related to Elvis Presley. Really? Yeah. I okay. Again, this might be fake news, but I Ray, I'm Rayleigh really sure. Really kill. That's the one. I think that her uncle or like she's somehow related. Oh, she's Priscilla. Oh, she's the grandchild of Elvis and Priscilla Presley. So she what? She Lisa Marie Presley's daughter. <gasps> She is the daughter of Lisa Marie Presley. See, well, there you go. And the thing is, though, I didn't put that together, but I was like, oh, my God, she has an amazing voice. And then my friend who recommended the show to me was like, well, you know, that's Elvis Presley's, you know, whatever related. I mean, it's just, yeah. That, I mean, that, and that's kind of one of my favourite ones, I think. Because her voice is I incredible. Like the Nepo babies that are, like, hidden Nepo babies. So, like, that one, <laughs> I would never have put that together. But obviously she has, you know, she's getting her, like, stuff oh. in the door. Because she's under- true. No, I, well, I'm not sure if it's hidden. She might be going into casting rooms and be like, "FYI, Elvis was my granddad." Um, <laughs> but so I can never remember her name because she has a different last name. But Meryl Streep's daughter, she is an absolutely mind blowing actress. She is brilliant, and I used to always see her in shows and be like, "Oh my god, that girl looks so much like Meryl Streep." But she didn't oh have the gosh. same name, so I I just never put two and together. Two um, together it's- but it's- is her daughter. There's two, there's Mamie Gummer and then there's Grace. Grace Gummer, it's Grace Gummer. She is phenomenal. So I give her a pass. I've given her a pass because she's great. Oh God, she does look like her. Doesn't she look bang on like Meryl Streep? It's crazy. Yeah, like a really young Meryl Streep. I don't have a problem with Nepo babies if they're talented. What annoys me (laughs) is Nepo babies that get into this you know get like get into the business and get all this fame and fortune when they are subpar performers actors Mm, i think if you've got it's true though if you've got the (laughs) talent because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of actors out there that maybe you know are being like called out for being a nepo baby but they're actually talented and and very like established within their own right Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that they wouldn't have had more advantages Mm-hmm. but the fact that they're talented also like what do you want it eases to do? the blow yeah yeah it's kind of like what what do you, you know if the talent if they're a talented actor they can't just go you know what i think i'll stick to retail because i'll get cancelled you know what i mean like it's the, i, I the, think it's fine like, i agree with you i think it's fine if they're quite open about the nepo like the nepotism yeah so if they're like oh yeah i'm well aware that i you know my foot has gotten in the door because of this but I also think that I work really hard 
and I, this is my passion and I give a lot and there's a lot of Nepo babies out there that are like that that I'm like gorgeous fine like as long as you're recognizing but it's it's the kind of I don't want to call her out but I'm gonna call her out Lily Allen's of the world who are like I've worked my butt off and blah blah, blah. And maybe if other people just worked harder it's like right now you've annoyed me now you've yeah. just really annoyed me like I think there's a rudeness sometimes that a lot of Nepo babies get I think if you're gracious about it and you're just like yeah also my parent is this person but I work really hard and I think I'm a good person to work with and I think I bring a lot then I'm like yeah you do and I like watching you I'll tell you what though speaking of Lily Allen I went to go see Pillow Man the other day and I went in with that mindset being like oh you know like you know you're you're a singer you're an actor and um she was phenomenal she was absolutely phenomenal and I remember leaving that being like, my opinions kind of changed of Lily Allen. Like she was really, really good as that part. Um, it's interesting because I've never heard of that that phrase, Nepo baby, before. Oh yeah. Really? It's a big thing. Yeah, I've never heard of it. I also would like to say I think Lily Allen is very talented. My issue is not with her talent, my issue is with her attitude. Yeah. It's sort of attitude. It's the sort of it's the sort of like it's the the Molly May the Molly May mindset of we've all got the same twenty four hours in a day, like yeah, but you're being paid millions per hour, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my twenty four hour my my twenty four hours is a bit different. Yeah, I think maybe the most I make in twenty four hours is maybe like fifty quid. I think you probably make that like in a second, like the moment you wake up, you probably make fifty quid. So. I was going to say, with the Molly May thing, I'd love to see a rundown of her day. You give yeah. me a rundown of what she's Well, she, she does have her own me. YouTube channel. If you want to follow along mm. for a day in the life, <laughs> then you can see it all there. I would love to see, like, what she is... Like, I want to see her in the office at 9 to 5 looking at spreadsheets. Like, and that's what I want her I to I want to see, like, the real life of Molly May. Like, what, <laughs> like, what, what are you actually like? Yeah. And, and it's really annoying as well because... I feel like, I mean, she is quite young and that, that was like last year when she said that, wasn't it? And it, it, everyone was kind of up in arms of, oh, she's young, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's just sort of a thing of coming from a place of privilege, she can't actually... Because, for example, like during lockdown, I was so bored that I would just get on my phone and start making TikToks. And they became really popular at some at one point, and I was having loads of fun doing them. And I had like, I was getting like hundreds of thousands of views from these TikToks. As soon as I went back to work, did I make one single TikTok? No, absolutely not. Bring that back, Casey. I will. You could be like, you could be like the Molly May who's grounded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I it's do just kind of like... forget that you were a star on TikTok at some point. Like you actually it, it... were. It was it was quite weird. I had fans and everything. It was really strange. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> and I did. I'd literally log on to TikTok and there'd be like a group of like a, a group of fans who like changed the profile picture to a picture of me. And I was like, <laughs> I was like sat in my box bedroom like this is a bit strange. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was the the whole point that I was trying to make was like when I was just messing about with social media yes I had a lot of time and a lot of creativity and stuff to do but as soon as I had to start like big girl job that all went out the window so it's all very well and well and nice yeah. to be doing a little social media things but she's not I mean saying it. this she has done very very well 
you can't not yeah. give her that. She's yeah. done incredibly well coming out yeah. of Love Island and then landing all those deals because not everyone off Love Island no, gets no. like as no, many deals she as she has. She was very smart. And she's, I also think yeah. she had a very smart marketing team behind her as well. Absolutely. I mean, Molly May itself is the brand. So, yeah, definitely. I think mean, a lot of the work is like down to them. And she had a good agent, clearly. And yeah, like it's she, fascinating. She also, yeah. She, but it, it does annoy me when she, like, the reason for that success in the first place is because she got through a casting thing on Love Island, which is fantastic. I'm not saying that that belittles any of the work, but. It would like I think she sometimes equates that with like if that was removed she wouldn't be where she is just now. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like that was the inciting yeah, incident. That I just have yeah. an issue with Love Island in general. Like I, every year when it comes out and everyone kind of like panders to it, I'm just kind of like mm. it feels very dated to me in the fe- in the sense of like if you're skinny and blonde and mm. beautiful, yeah, you're gonna be famous. And like it's kind of like all these people that look exactly the same, like just kind of vying for each other's affection, and it's all very, it's always very surface level, and I'm just feel very like that. Sadly, I think is the real world now, though. A lot of the real world is that, like dating, for example, is very much that. Whereas probably like back in the day, you'd walk down the street and go like, "Oh, they look like a nice person. I'll go and say hello." and compliment them on their jacket or I don't know um <laughs> how many people flirted back in the day um it's a very lovely jacket <laughs> Flo, Flo was dating in the 1800s <laughs> yeah. um but yeah no that sadly is definitely our society today it's people like to say it's not based on all that surface stuff but it sadly is not to say the whole world is like that but I would love the next season of Bridgerton that like Eloise just goes up to someone. She's like, love the jacket. Love it. <laughs> oh it's very God, dashing. It's very dashing. I'd be like, wow, she really likes you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daisy Prince, Nepple Baby or not, she was doing an off-Broadway show. Um, and that off-Broadway show, Songs for a New World. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. So... <laughs> All of the original stars would go on to become highly regarded and have prominent careers in feature film and television, with, of course, Billy Porter going on to have massive celebrity status. The show was then picked up by New Line Theatre in St. Louis. St. Louis? I feel like we've discussed this before. I'm going with St. Louis. Meet me in St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is, although although in, it actually is St. Louis because there is a quote. (laughs) From me oh, I remember this now because you said that they correct them at the end. Oh. They do. Okay, guys, you probably already know this as well. You probably already know, guys, it's in episode two. Like, we've already covered this. <laughs> I know, I need to remember. Okay, okay. St. Louis. It then premiered in Britain at the Bridewell Theatre in Blackfyres in a production directed by Clay Paget, and it starred Craig Purnell, who played Man One, and he would go on to win a What's On Stage award for his role. Only seven years later, in 2008... It would then be revived in New York at the Chernookin Theatre and again in 2015 in St. James's Theatre in Britain with an absolutely incredible cast consisting of the Queen, Cynthia Erivo, Jenna Russell, Damien Humbley and Dean John Wilson. Most recently during the pandemic, The Other Palace actually revived Songs for a New World as a digital production directed by Shamie Campbell and starring Rachel Tucker, my favourite. It was filmed with the casting crew in isolation 
and it actually used kind of like real life news footage interweaved with the musical numbers. Then it was so popular that it had a two show run at London Palladium in October 2020 and had a West End transfer in February 2021 to the Vaudeville Theatre with Rachel Tucker, Cedric Neal and David Hunter reprising their roles from the Palladium performances. So as you can tell, the show, much like a lot of Jason Brown's other work, is hugely popular with the masses. It's actually hugely popular with Amdram groups due to its kind of small cast size and band requirements. His shows can often just be staged with just a pianist, so it makes money uh, financing it quite easy. So, gals, what is the show about? Well, that is a little bit difficult. Songs for a New World is different to many of the shows that we've already covered, as it doesn't really follow a linear plot. Instead, each actor plays one of four roles. Man one, man two, women one, and women two. These performers keep to the same roles, but they do not play the same characters throughout the show. Instead, each song performed by Man One, for example, follows a different character's story or a different set of given circumstances, but they are loosely developed to form one character arc, even if the arc is not specific to one life led. This sounds really complicated, but Scott Miller summarises this really well by saying, it's important to remember that each of the four actors in the show has a kind of overarching character that spans the evening. Not a literal character, as the details vary from song to song, but more of an emotional journey for each actor that progresses from the beginning of the evening to the end. For instance, the woman who sings, I'm not afraid of anything, is also the woman who gets dumped in the world of dancing, who finds herself pregnant in Christmas lullaby, and who reconciles with her lover in I'd give it all for you. And taken together, these songs chart an emotional journey, this woman growing over the course of the show from innocence to understanding and self-knowledge. The songs, which were collated by Jason Robert Brown and Daisy Prince in the original WPA theatre run, used songs that he had written for other shows and events, and they're connected by one theme, which Jason Robert Brown says is the moment of decision. Or you could also say that it follows different characters all on the brink of a new world. Brown has described this as, it's about one moment. We will come back to this line later because he uses it often. It's about hitting the wall and having to make a choice or take a stand or turn around and go back. This style of musical theatre can be described as a song cycle. A song cycle in its very basic definition is a collection of full songs that have been designed to be performed in sequence as one complete performance. The reason for them to be performed together in sequence can vary. It may be due to a connecting topic or theme like Songs for a New World, or it could be a progression of tonal scheme or musical motif, or it could even just be the fact it's based on the same source material. So it's based on a collection of poems, for example, so that's why it would go in the order of the poems. Examples of musical theatre song cycles uh, are Elegies, which follows the theme of kind of departed friends, or Fugitive Songs, which follows multiple journeys across America. As Songs for a New World was put together from existing numbers written for other performances, some critics have argued that it's not a song cycle, but as it doesn't fit into any other standard definition of musical theatre form, such as a review, most agree that the song cycle is the closest definition that we have for the show. So I'm going to quote Scott Miller again on this, who sums up the show perfectly. He says, one of the characters in Songs for a New World says, I don't want to philosophise, I just want to tell a story. And that line describes Songs for a New World perfectly. In fact, it tells a whole collection of stories. It's not a book musical. There is no overarching plot and no consistent characters throughout the evening. It's a collection of independent scene songs, but it's also more than that. In a 1998 review in St. Louis, Riverfront Times, Mike Isaacson wrote, Songs for a New World is that very rare beast, an abstract musical. There is no specific location other than the natural ambiguity of the human heart and mind. 
and yet it has a very strong sense of unity about it. Even though many of these songs were actually written for other projects over the span of several years, this show feels like it was planned as a unified whole from the beginning. Which, what a great quote, just as a pause. Whew, imagine someone writing that about you. <laughs> like your I mean, like that. massive quote, huge quote. Yeah. And really, also I think that's, you're right, it sums up the show perfectly. Mm. So good, yeah. I just, oh, that gives me like shivers actually. Like Jason Robert Brown must have been, because especially because that's from the St. Louis Um like a review from the St. Louis production, so when it was still quite new and right at the start of his career, yeah, that was it. Uh, that must have been so exciting to like to to read the one. Does someone subscribe to your show? Is a very rare beast. Like yeah. I think that's <laughs> yeah. As the show doesn't really have a plot for us to take you through, I'm just going to quickly cover some of the songs in the show and let you know how they connect back to Jason Robert Brown's theme of the moment of decision. So one of the first songs is called On the Deck of a Spanish Sailing Ship, 1492, which is a very long song title, and it follows a ship captain on a sea voyage to an undiscovered country who is praying for the safety of all his travellers. It's kind of often been thought that it's about Sephardic Jewish people and their expulsion from Spain in the 1400s. We have Stars of the Moon, which is about a rich older woman lamenting on the loves that she threw away in pursuit of a wealthy and rich man. We have The River Won't Flow, which is about two working class men swapping stories on the struggles they face and the bad luck that has met them in their lives. We have I'd Give It All For You, which follows two lovers reuniting after deciding that they need to be together. And uh, one of the last numbers from the show, The Flag Maker 1775 focuses on a woman sewing a flag whilst her husband and son are fighting the Revolutionary War. So as you can see, these songs cover varying historical events, eras and lived experiences. And there's no linear plot. No characters who appear outside of one song, but the connecting theme is clear. They are all on the precipice of a new decision, a new becoming, or a new world. And well, just like that, speaking of the man of the hour, Jason Robert Brown, uh, I thought I'd just talk a little bit about the man himself. Um, if you do not know who Jason Robert Brown is, you now will. Uh, so Jason Robert Brown was born in New York City on the 20th of June, 1970. He attended Eastman School of Music, later dropping out to move back to New York to pursue his career in the theatre. He then worked in New York as a piano player for nightclubs and cabarets until he met Daisy Prince. And I know you at home, you're like, oh, we've just heard about Daisy Prince. She's back. Uh, she's actually a very, very important role in his life. She's the daughter of Hal Prince. And with his songs and her direction, they got together and they wrote the, his first show, Songs for a New World. And I've actually got a quote. I think it's from a Playbill um, interview that he did where he said, I asked Daisy Prince if she would help me shape it into a more substantial piece. It was Daisy who really gave the show its shape and its arc for which I am eternally in debt to her. Which I just thought was really <laughs> lovely. So yeah, really, really lovely. Um, and I don't know, it might just be me, but I feel like Daisy clearly saw something in him at the time and thought, I'm going to give this guy a break and I'm going to kind of help him, you know, start his career. This is what it kind of, this is what it feels like. Um, yeah, and I wonder how much he took from that as well for his other shows, because the other shows that he's gone on to do, some have been quite abstract as well, but, you know, he's done very straight, like, book musicals as well. Yeah. So, like, I wonder how that kind of, having someone kind of, like, dramaturge it has been, like, influential and in how he's then gone on to write. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, well, there's there's also one of my other favourite quotes from this particular interview. He said, I didn't ask Daisy to work on the show because she was a woman. I asked her because I trusted her and I thought she had wonderful ideas and we've had many glorious collaborations since then. Oh, which I thought was really lovely. So they must be like BFFs, which is so sweet. Um, I mean, I mean, what a best friend to have. Um, literally <laughs> the daughter of Hal Prince. Um, so <laughs> Songs for a New World, as already mentioned, opened in 1995 um, when he was 25. Um, and it ran for 28 performances. I know, everyone's like, oh, God. Yeah, 25 <laughs> years young. Um, he then wrote the music for Parade, one of my favourite musicals. I mean, that's not important, but I thought I'd just let you know anyway. Um, directed by Hal Prince. So I I, <laughs> I love that face. Rosa, just, what? I know, I, I didn't realise either. So that was directed by Hal Prince in 1998, winning a Tony for the Best Original Score. So yeah, it's a gorgeous show. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous show. Parade. Incredible show. Incredible show. Um, and I'm sure probably musical theatre kids at home are probably being like, I love Parade because I feel like everyone always does a song from Parade at some point in their career. Oh, all the girls. I mean, I've done. Um, you don't know that man. Do Absolutely. You don't know this man. <laughs> you don't know that man. I like I like that version. Though. <laughs> you don't know that man. actually. <laughs> He's been following you home all day, but you don't know that man. <laughs> I want to hear that version. Controversial, but I have never seen Parade. Okay. I've I've I'll... I've never seen it. I actually no, that's a lie. No, I have seen it. I saw it at a drama school. Someone did it as their final year, but I'd like to see a professional production, please. Um Well, Ben Platt, is he not? Is currently it's on Broadway, right? Oh, Oh my god, that would be an incredible yeah, performance yeah. to go and see. Probably, probably transfer. Let's <laughs> hope. Transfer. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Probably transfer and probably, probably make sure the tickets aren't too expensive because I can't afford anything in the West End right now. Um, my biggest thing that I still think about is that <laughs> that Sunday. Um, <laughs> I was literally about to say Sunday on the pod because I was so used to saying Sunday that. on the pod. Sunday in the park with George was with Jake Gyllenhaal. That got cancelled. Was yeah, was meant to be transferring and it never did. I had the same with Amelda Staunton was gonna do a production of um oh god, it's not coming to my head now. She was Hello, gonna Dolly. Be the lead. That's it. She was gonna be the lead. Oh, and that would have just been phenomenal. Oh, I yeah. It was the production that was on Broadway, but I I went to New York in two very like close visits. So I went in the December when it was Bette Midler. Oh. I'm obsessed with Bette Midler. I love Bette Midler, but tickets were through the roof. And you I, to, I, like, it was cut off your arm to get yeah. A and I was on a I was on a university <laughs> trip, and I felt like I couldn't leave the group and go. So guys, I'm gonna go watch Bette Midler. You 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 have a nice day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I didn't want to like just walk away. Um, but I mean they were ridiculous prices. It was like four hundred and fifty, like 
to sit in the like stalls so like, yeah but I saying that now that. people are spending a pretty penny for Beyonce so it's just like it's just the way it goes yeah I did Sorry, but I did... the 1700s today a pretty penny <laughs> <laughs> a pretty penny yeah I don't know why I'm really channeling my my typecasting if there's, if there's any casting directors out there I am a Celtic <laughs> gal and I go for, I go for um yeah I go for period dramas a lovely jacket. I'll give you a pretty pin. <laughs> I'd spend my last tuppence for a Beyonce concert. <laughs> oh my god, guys, what am I like? But, um, that, I promise I'm normal. Bet Middle was on in the um, in the December, and then I went back in the March and went and watched Bernadette Peters oh. do. Hello Dolly, which was glorious, by the way, because there's such a lovely moment. I don't know if you're familiar with Hello Dolly, but there's a lovely moment where um, they're all. It's kind of like the opening number, and everyone like the ensemble singing, and then it they all go call on, and then Dolly comes in like like is hidden behind a newspaper and has been on stage the whole time, and you don't realize, and she just sort of goes Dolly Levi, like pushes it down. <laughs> The, there was a solid like five minute applause like the whole show was Aww. at a standstill oh my god oh my god it I was it was just you applauding everyone else has sat down <laughs> it's just me just for five minutes <laughs> security's like we really need to stop her from coming into these shows <laughs> but i went um, i went and watched it twice on the same trip because it was incredible i love the musical and i loved bernadette but then I seen that it was transferring over to London and it was going to be Imelda Staunton. And I was like, wow, that's going to be incredible. I'm so heartbroken. Imelda, if you're listening, I would like justice and I'd like you to push for that performance to come back. Oh, that would have been so good. But yes, I don't know how we got on to Hello Dolly from Parade. Um, but just like that, we're back to Parade. So he wrote, <laughs> he wrote Parade in 1998. And then his next show, which I'm sure many of you have probably heard of, the last five years, um, which he also worked on with Daisy. Um, and the musical, I mean, it's said to be loosely based on his failed marriage with Terry O'Neill, um, who was actually Daisy's secretary, which I thought was a bit of, I know, but a fun, really a bit of a fun it fact. all in the family. This it's Mr. very, yeah, Brand. it's very much um, the people he knows. Um, and then his other work includes Urban Cowboy, which I've never heard of. Um, I might be slandered for that, but I've never heard of Urban and Cowboy. Uh, 13, The Bridges of Madison County, Honeymoon in Vegas, and Mr. Saturday Night. Uh, he later then married Georgia Stitt, who was the conductor of the tour of Parade. Again, very in-family. Um, and they then later had a daughter named Molly. Um, and just a fun fact, because I also completely forgot this when we were looking at Jason Robert Brown. Um, he's really close friends and he's a mentor of Ariana Grande, which... We love. I think I knew that because she was in oh, thirteen. She was in yes, the original production. Exactly. 13. Here we go. And when uh, and when uh, Brown was in LA for a couple of weeks, Ariana Grande had asked Jason Robert Brown to write her a new song for her album, and they worked on it together. I know, and I've actually heard the song and been like, it all makes sense now. So he agreed, um, and they made a track, and and it was released on Ariana Grande's extended edition of Dangerous Woman, and it's the song called Jason's Song. 
would never and now it's that all making sense it's such it a great song nice. i was always like oh, what a jazzy tune like it doesn't sound anything like um the other stuff on dangerous woman um great album by the way if you haven't listened to it um i, I, I really thought you were gonna say it was dangerous woman and i was like outside the box and he Jason was like Robert we Rowe. need to write dangerous woman <laughs> um <laughs> big on, the, on the piano something about you <laughs> <laughs> it's also quite nice that um Jason Robert Brown Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Grande are all linked because they're obviously going to be in Wicked 2024 <gasps> and, she, and Cynthia Erivo was in as just discussed, was in the Songs for a New World revival. So that's like a nice... Oh my God, of course. See, he keeps ev- everyone you know. It's all about the people you know. And <laughs> that's very much applies for Jason Robert Brown because his whole life... <laughs> He'll marry you. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but yeah, so a bit, bit of a fun fact about Jason Robert Brown. Um, but uh, most important thing about Jason Robert Brown is probably his musical style, which is extremely unique, I think. I think obviously it's been influenced by, uh, di- I mean, different people. Um, but I feel like you listen to a Jason Robert Brown track and you're like, yeah, that's definitely JRB, like 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, he has kind of a pop rock feel to his kind of writing. Um, a common theme, which you'll see a lot of in his writing, and for all my users out there, this is where your ears are going to prick up, um, he writes in rubato which basically translates to being in like a laid back style without really staying to kind of like a strict tempo. So I feel like a lot of the time you'll hear like a song and you'll hear that the singer isn't quite on the beat, that they're kind of like a little bit laid back. And I feel like that's very his style. Um, Another thing that's very Jason Robert Brown is he likes to kind of have like a minimalistic idea, like a, like a, so i.e. like a piano motif that he'll keep really kind of simple, but then he'll use that over and over and over again. And that will become like the theme of that song. Or it'll be like the one thing that when you hear it, you're like, oh, that connects back to that moment. It's, I mean, it's very it's very classical musical theatre um, to do, but it's also Jason Robert Brown really utilises that. Um, this is also, again, a serious muso note. Um, he uses a lot of ostinatos. And people at home being like, what the hell is that? Um, basically, an ostinato is a repeated musical phrase or rhythm. Um, so it might just be like the same note played over and over and over again, or it might be like a particular rhythm used over and over again. Um, but as you'll hear later, um, in one particular song, I will go into detail about that. But it's uh, the more you listen to his stuff, the more you'll hear kind of the same thing being repeated, even if it's like in the background, you'll start to kind of hear this like driving rhythm of of his ostinatus that he uses. It's very, very clever. Um, he says actually that he's been inspired by people like Billy Joel and Joni Mitchell. Love Joni Mitchell. Again, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but just in case anyone wants to know. I love Billy, I mean, I love Joni Mitchell, but I love Billy Joel too. He, that man knows how to write a pop song. <laughs> he knows. Well, he influenced Jason Robert Brown. Um, so did Stephen Sondheim and Leonard Bernstein. That's who he said were kind of his main influences. Um, it's funny though, because I always thought that Jason Robert Brown and Sondheim were somehow related, but I don't know why. I think because <laughs> they, I think maybe because they're like both my favorite composers in musical theatre that I just was like, yeah, they're related. They were, they're brothers. Yeah, brothers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, <laughs> um, another kind of thing that you'll hear a lot of, which I kind of just briefly touched on, uh, his music's very rhythmical. Uh, that's one of my favourite parts of 
just Jason Robert Brown's music is that it feels very unpredictable in like what you'll hear, especially in this um, in this album. A lot of the rhythms are very kind of like you don't really know where the song is going to be going. Um, and he's known for using a huge amount of harmonies and having a wide vocal range. Um, again, I'm really going hard on the Muso stuff. So Muses at home, you're welcome. Um, a lot of his songs follow kind of the same format. Not all of them, but a lot of them follow a format of A-A-B-A, which basically means that he has like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, um, which is seen a lot in his kind of power ballads. It's very Jason Robert Brown. Um, and uh, his love duets are written in male-female both form. So it starts with a male, then a female, then both come together. I mean, for example, All the Time I Wasted from Parade, um, Tell Her from 13, um, and then you've got uh, One Second and a Million Miles from Bridges of Madison County. Um, and one final thing, just to add in, just because I feel like I'm, I'm on... I'm on, I'm on a roll with my Muso stuff. Um, and I promise you this is the last thing people at home is he loves to use hemiolas, which it's not a disease. Um, <laughs> a hemiola is a combination of triplets spread over two beats, which sounds really complicated and a bit confusing and doesn't really make any sense. But basically, say if something was written in like 4-4, four, four, so there were four beats in a bar, he would, uh, for two beats, he would write three notes and then that would be the triplet, basically. That's like a really basic way to say it. But saying that, he didn't really tend to write in 4-4. Four, four. He tended to write in something called compound timing, which is basically, instead of having four beats to a bar, you'd have like a beat and a half. You'd have like four beats and a half to a bar, which again, sounds very, very confusing. So I feel like I'm really kind of confusing things, but that is just very Jason Robert Brown. Um, and the reason why I brought up hemiolas, uh, not the disease, um, is that it's used a lot between uh, the vocal line and the accompaniment. So say the accompaniment is just playing like steady beats at a time, the vocal line might use um, a triplet over the top. Um, and that's basically the hemiola. Um, and he basically used this as a tool to help highlight his text for dramatic effect and basically help prepare the performer for the money note. The first example of this was seen from The Flag Maker, 1775, from Songs for a New World, in which the woman soloist whose husband is away at war spends her days sewing flags to raise morale. And the compound meter is basically underneath, and um, he uses the hemiola on the part where she sings one more star, one more stripe, as you pray for your child's not dead, and on the word dead, that's basically the last note of the descending melodic line. And that's the kind of, that's the thing that he's wanting to kind of highlight is that word. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a lot of muso jargon that I've thrown at you at home. Um, but I feel like I haven't, I haven't even touched the surface with Jason Robert Brown because I feel like he's a very, very clever, uh, very, very clever composer. So yeah. That's so interesting on the hemiolas. Uh, yeah. like I wonder that would be such an interesting exercise actually to like listen through like Bridges of Madison County or Songs for a New World or Last Five Years or something and like try and work out what the like obviously dead is the word but like yeah what the other words are that he's trying to like punctuate that would be that would be fascinating also massive shout out to Bridges of Madison County man that show is chef's multiple kiss 
I mean, this might be like a real reach to say, but I feel like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of Jason Robert Brown's music is very similar to Shakespeare, where a lot of the acting stuff is in the text. Mm. And I mean, obviously Shakespeare, genius. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, obviously if you don't really know who Shakespeare is, well, <laughs> we have to have a chat. Um, but yeah, I feel like he really gives the actor a lot to work with. Um, with his music so yeah so now on to one of my favorite parts of the pod this is the time where we take a look at the themes and impacts and look at the songs lyrically and musically so we're all going to take one of the songs and discuss it so i'm going to hand you over now to flow with opening sequence the new world lovely and just like that it makes sense to begin at the beginning uh this is literally the first song that you'll hear um so uh, a, a new world uh the opening theme that you first hear is basically a very very short piano motif probably in about like three notes off the top of my head um and then you hear uh you hear the lyrics a new world calls across the ocean a new world calls across the sky a new world whispers in the shadows, time to fly, time to fly. And basically it's laying out exactly what's about to happen for basically the rest of the show, I think, because uh, it's basically telling you about the themes of life choices in a new world and how even when everything seems lost, people find a way to survive. Um, and I think one of my favourite bits of the song itself is the lyrics, which I think really, really... Uh, really kind of lays it out very, very clearly, again, kind of what the, what, how, how the rest of the show is going to go. So it says, it's about one moment, the moment before it all becomes clear. And in that one moment, you start to believe there's nothing to fear. Um, which I just think is a really nice, it's just a really nice way to be like, guys, audience at home, this is what it's going to be about. Yeah. And it's also like a feeling that I feel like everyone has obviously gone through. It's like when you make a big decision like say that you're gonna quit your job you're gonna move somewhere new there is like a space that you enter isn't it where like you've done all the worrying and it's like you've just made that snap decision and you feel like and <gasps> but it yeah. feels really exciting and it feels really free and then obviously two seconds later you're then like oh my god and I need to do this and I need to do this but there is like that kind of hold in time isn't there where you're not really thinking about those things you're just thinking about like the the decision yeah yeah um so it's it's, it's a very universal kind of feeling, which I guess lends itself very, very well for the rest of the show. Um, again, for all those muses out there, I've got your back. Um, it's written in E flat major, just something fun to know. And as you would have just heard in my previous segment, um, it actually starts off in rubato, which is that kind of laid back, not restricted kind of tempo. So yeah, and um, as I mentioned, it has a very simple piano motif to start off with. It's very soft very reflective, very Jason Robert Brown. Um, and then uh, there's kind of a sudden change of feel with the entrance of the piano's ostinato motive, which basically comes in at FFF, which is forte, 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 uh, which is like obviously super, super loud. Um, and it kind of is like the, it's kind of like the aha moment, like, okay, and the show's begun, uh, basically transporting you into the world of the show and changing the energy using its rhythm and its dynamic change. Um, I feel like it also really, I feel like from quite a deep perspective, that kind of very monotonous kind of uh, simple piano uh, motif is kind of like the simplicity and, re and repetition of life and how, so how something 
can suddenly happen and it changes everything but you've still kind of got that kind of like constant kind of uh kind of motive running in the background which I just thought was kind of for any actors out there who might be wanting to sing the song there you go um uh despite some of the darker themes explored in later songs um I think what's kind of cool about this song is the funky offbeat piano. It's literally one of it's one of my favorite things that Jason Robert Brown does is where you hear this like kind of like bass line in the background where it's like you can hear that it's not on the beat and it's kind of pushing the rhythm forward and it creates a sense of kind of anticipation and excitement. Um, and I feel like that's definitely, again, very Jason Robert Brown. I feel like that's my phrase of the episode. It's very <laughs> JRB. It really is though. There's that kind of like, offbeat kind of tempo um again from the same uh, playbill interview um someone asked him how do you describe the jason robert brown sound or style and he said oh i don't know uh songs is actually meant to be a showcase of all the various styles that i could write in so there's a deliberate attempt to have a little of everything in there gospel r&b jazz rock salsa polka german music basically anything which i thought was just an interesting kind of quote to have in this because I feel especially as we go through each of the songs they do feel like you're in a different style for a lot of them um oh completely like there's a number that always really surprises me in the show called the steam train yeah that is like yeah kind of hip-hop sexy like like... yeah like pop it's really and it's it's really interesting like that number because it kind of is like part monologue part like real I don't know what the word is apart from to say like it's real uh it's real groovy (laughs) (laughs) that beat is groovy um well it is um actually I'll tell you what there were so many songs when I was listening to the full thing all the way through that my jaw literally dropped like one of my favorite moments in this album is on the deck of the Spanish sailing ship when he has those like high belting notes that come out of nowhere you are just like damn like it is so it's so good so so that's good. one of my favorite numbers from the show me actually, too definitely oh, yeah you heard it here first yeah you heard it <laughs> spoiler there's i'm like a big fan of his use of like reprise in this show as well because i think he does it he you could literally have like a new world the opening number you could have that like like appear in every song but he doesn't he there's like quite deliberate choices he makes so I think on the deck of a Spanish sailing ship, it's almost like a continuation because it goes straight in. It goes yeah. like they finish in your world, it goes bum ba bum, and then you end. And it goes straight into it, into it. yeah. But then I think it. I think it ends and then right. At the end, yeah, at you're the right. End, he's like finishing up some of his stuff, the ship captain, and then you hear like a new world. Love it. <laughs> I love it. And then they do like a full bit where it's like they basically do the end of the. At the end of a new world again but like it somehow really really works and they do that with steam trade so you yeah. have like this really funky like 90s beat and then some like it ca- catches you off guard basically and you're like oh my god like why yeah. have they got a new world back in here but it just makes I love sense it. because is it do you know i feel like things are just starting to click into place here a little bit as we're discussing it but is the sort of deliberate motif of a new world coming in is that like the moment of decision for everybody in the songs? That that moment of decision is what leads them to a new world in their life. It could be. Sort of, in that, I don't know because as I think, I think as Rosa said, it does come out of the blue. Like it kind of feels like, i.e., like at the end of the song when the song is kind of complete, it like suddenly like pops its head back up again. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, on the deck of a Spanish sailing ship, I think makes sense because I think I I think the reason that they they have that as the first number, the second number basically following on uh-huh. so closely is because it kind of really wants to set out that this is a completely it's not going to follow a plot line. We're on the deck of a Spanish sailing ship in fourteen yeah too and just previously moments it was like a teacher being like get a house in the hills like they're talking yeah. about completely different experiences but it's just re i suppose like reinforcing that actually for thousands of years this is such a common human experience this like precipice of something new and like this decision so i think it i think that's when it i think it serves in a deck of a spanish sailing ship is just a, a reinforcement of the theme that we're going to be looking at yeah throughout the night and connecting something that is so foreign to us 600 years ago to a feeling that we're having in modern day steam train i'm not really sure because it, it really does come out of nowhere in steam train yeah but maybe that's i don't know oh yeah i'd be interested listeners i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on why you think that he he uses that he brings back a new world in Steam Train because it is such an interesting choice and it really does bowl you over. I mean, it could be it could be his way of like using a musical motive to basically like production value sake to basically keep the plot moving. So there's no like clunky stops. Like for example, literally between song and scene, uh, scene uh, song one, song two, I couldn't tell when song two had started because it was so smooth mm-hmm. and so effortless, and I was like. Oh, sorry, where is this sexy vocal line coming from? And I was like, oh my God, I'm in a complete different song. So I think he's very, very good at doing that and basically just basically merging the songs together so that it stays mm. constant, which definitely works, I think, in a song cycle. This song in particular helps set the scene for how the song cycle is going to be going by having um, different voices singing at different times. Uh, so it's kind of basically telling the audience, like, you're going to be hearing... There you go. It's it's all making sense now. It's basically That's telling very us... clever, Flo. It is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I like that you guys seem surprised. Uh, <laughs> um, basically, he has different voices singing at different times, which for the audience establishes that you'll be hearing different stories from different people, but all the stories are linked with the same theme in that one moment. Um, how you know how and anything can change it at any one's point in life. Um, and actually, again, to quote Jason Robert Brown, um, he said, it's, it's about one moment, it's about hitting the wall and having to make a choice or take a stand or turn around and go back. That's basically what he said it's about. Um, and I mean, it's like I'm obsessed with him, but again, from the same interview, um, we do think of all four performers in the show as having an individual arc throughout the piece and all of them have relationships with each other. Even though they're constantly changing identities, we always thought of them being the same person throughout, as though their spirit took on an external form but remained the same internally. And part of the joy of the show, to me, is that they all are therefore recognised by each other. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, which is really, really sweet. Um, Which again, maybe makes sense why, like, that theme of a new world randomly sometimes, like, comes back in. Because I guess it's like, if it's the same person's story but just told by a different person um maybe that's why but again listeners at home if you have some secret intel that we don't know about jason Robert brown if you're listening please do let us know 
Um, and then as we just talked about, the song basically ends with uh, the lyrics, come to me, and it kind of builds and builds and builds. And then it effortlessly transports you into the first story. Um, and that's basically, that's basically the opening song. I love the opening sequence. Like I, it really, it does something to me. Like it yeah. makes me, like if I'm listening to it on like the train to work, I'm like, I'm ready for the day. It's like great. I feel, oh, very like just ready to go and attack anything and get stuff done and maybe jump on a flight to Spain. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that takes us quite nicely into Just One Step, which is my favourite song out of this whole song cycle slash musical slash JRB being a, <laughs> a music I will I will admit I think he is insanely talented but his writing style is not my favourite which it, it I think it's just down to preference. I think for me, especially with this this production, I really like a through line and I really like like complex relationships between characters and obviously you can't have that in something in which each song kind of stands alone to its own sort of, you know, story. Um yeah, I just really like sort of deep di- diving into like a character's psyche and like their journey throughout a whole show and like their relationships with other people and how that sort of comes into play so I think this is why maybe like Songs for a New World's not always been my go-to it's not something that I'd like reach for but Just One Step is an exception I would say if I had to think of a song for you it would be Just One Step yeah I think I'm just a sucker for a character song I love her (laughs) I love a, <laughs> I love a character song, um, and I don't know if we've discussed this before, but just one step was on my original set list for my one woman show that I did in university. Wow. <laughs> um, oh my god! Be- because it it really would have lended itself quite nicely to it. My whole one woman show was basically a mob wife who was being left by a husband and was kind of on this like journey of self discovery and like trying to get his attention which unintentionally is actually the whole plot of of the song of just one step um pretty much but when i when i listened to it i was like oh people are gonna think i've fully just stolen my whole plot from this song but i hadn't actually listened to it before but then um me and my singing tutor decided to go down the route of using all barbara streisand songs that she did the written or covered so I couldn't, I couldn't, obviously. What were the three songs? What were the three Barbara Streisand songs? I had um, Barbara's version of Got No Strings. Nice. Um, I also had uh, Could I Leave You from Follies, which she's covered in one of her Broadway albums. Also, it's mad to me that Streisand never did a Follies stint. Yeah. Oh, she would have been so good. Imagine her doing like... Um, uh, I'm still here. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Just anything, anything. I really think that Barbara should get another shot at Hello Dolly because I'm not sure if anyone knows the backlash that the Hello Dolly movie got when it came out, but it was pretty much a flop. Like it was such I know, a big and I flop. I really like that movie. 
Yeah, me too. I think it's just because she was too, she was far too young. Like, oh yeah, Dolly Levi's supposed to be this, you know, like know it all, like lived, experienced, 70, 80 year old woman. And Streisand was there when she was like, I think she was in her thirties when she was doing Hello Dolly. So it didn't just look stunning in that film. Yeah, that she does. Like, <laughs> when I think of Barbara Streisand, I think she looks so beautiful in that film. Yeah, yeah she's gorgeous. I, I, th- I think it's just, she was far too young. And I think if she were to do it now, it would be absolutely incredible. But I think you need to have that sort of, you know, that those sort of chops that come with getting older, like the wise, mm. wise cracking older lady, as our Dolly Levi is. Um, anyway, I digress. Sorry, on a bit of a Streisand rant there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so just one step, just to kind of give you an uh, overview of the song, is a wealthy woman steps onto the ledge of a window. I think it's... Is it? The, it's one of the fiftieth stories, fifty seventh or something. Fifty, yeah, fifty seventh. Um, in order to kind of get her husband's attention, I just love the way it sort of comes in really quickly with a dun 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 dun. It's just really fun. It's a really fun little intro, and then she just kind of comes in with a Murray, and it's <laughs> oh, I just love it. That accent. It's a great voice from Jessica Molaski, who yeah, is on the cast yeah. album. It's and do you know, um, is it Shoshana Bean that did it in the revival, which was also brilliant, really, really yeah. uh, wonderful version of that. Um, and I'm just instantly, as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Yep, it's a character song." Putting that in, putting that in my rep. <laughs> um, older woman shouting at her husband. Love that. Um, <laughs> but I, I just really gelled with it. I really liked it. Um, it's her trying to get his attention, and she's kind of stood on the the ledge singing this to him. You don't actually hear his voice, and nobody kind of comes in as the husband. But the the sort of notion is that she is still being ignored while she stood on this window ledge. There's just a really great little bit where there's obviously quite a, a crowd gathering underneath, um, like watching the commotion that's going on. And one of the lines is like, oh, there's so-and-so and Carney. Hi, Carney. And yeah, I <laughs> love that bit. Hi, Carney. Oh, Hi, Carney. It's just kind of like, look at what I'm doing. I love it. I, I just love it. it. It also reminds me of the opening of First Wives Club, which also has this exact same plot in that um a woman's husband is leaving her for a younger woman so she like smokes a cigarette in a fur coat and just jumps off the top of like a 50 something apartment building so i wonder i mean i wonder what came first actually i wonder when's first wives clubs because that it is very similar that's 95 first wives club so it wouldn't have even had like an overlap really they both how weird at the same time isn't so odd but maybe that speaks to his talent he's he really tapped into that new york socialite i told you he's shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> everyone went silent everyone's like absolutely <laughs> 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 <We're> like, <laughs> no <laughs> um what i really love about this song as well is it's really clever with its use of like on the belty notes i'm gonna i'm not as a 
well spoken as flow with my muso knowledge so i'm gonna go with an abbreviation is it an abbreviation not really sure do you know in a cartoon when something falls in a cartoon and it sort of has that like yeah. like that sort of yeah that was very know, good that was a really good if you shut your eyes you think you're watching like tom and jerry or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sticking that on my resume um, yeah. <laughs> can whistle um <laughs> anyone can whistle oh, oh, bad. oh dear <laughs> um the the belty notes that she sings in that song sort of have that decline in the notes it has that sort of like especially on the watch me fly it kind of has those dips in the notes which is kind of like the sound of something dropping yeah yeah it's like a soundscape thing isn't it yeah you are so right it has that kind of sense i don't know what you would use to describe that but it's like an echo or like do when you throw something down a well that like yeah it was. It's the same sort of um, in the original Willy Wonka. Um, um, is it? Yeah, the Willy Wonka film, the one with Gene Wilder in Veruca Salt song. It was the same sort of when she drops down the shoe. It's the same sort of when she goes, "Don't care how I want it now," and it has yeah, that sort of like the slide, the slide, the slide down, and it's that sort of visualization of a dropping through to kind of show that which i think is is also she does it halfway through doesn't she she does it there's a moment where she does it halfway through is that her pretending to jump she i think she says after that like she uh almost fell there murray like a i think she was about to do it and then it's kind of a still got more to say yeah um but I just love it. I love it. And I like the sort of descent into almost like the descent into madness of the listing off everything, which I also love in uh, Could I Leave You, where she sort of reels off everything and it kind of accelerates the song as she's reeling off everything. It's kind of like you get angrier. Do you know when you're sort of in an argument and yeah. You're arguing about one thing and then it kind of brings up something else and then you just start to list off everything that, that is ticking you off about the other person. What are some of the stuff that she lists? In Sorry, in which one? In, in Just One Step? Yeah. It's the sort of like where she's like, I'm embarrassing, I'm fat, demanding, controlling, that sort of section where she's reeling off everything that he's obviously said to her. Um, and that's sort of propelling her to carry on with the song until you know it's sort of gathered this huge crowd below the window yeah like it's winding her more up isn't it yeah and it's kind of a i think there's a line where she actually says that she's like look i'm getting attention now or something uh-huh. oh yeah finally murray i'm getting attention and then it goes back into the, and just one step and it's it's just brilliant it's really well written and i really like that song um which I just think is a nice descent as well from, because quite a few in Songs from New World are like a pretty ballads or really like heartfelt songs. And I think it's like a fun little do, 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 do. <laughs> little uh, escape from that, which I, I really quite it like. It feels quite cheeky. Yeah, it does. That's the best word. Yeah. That's a better word than me going do, 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 do. I like that one though as well. <laughs> 
it's not an adjective, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's quite cheeky and it's I don't know. That's just my favourite. Bit biased, but I like that one. <laughs> and the ending's very ambiguous as well because she does like a. I was literally about to ask, like a... do we know or we don't? She just goes, "What me?" And then she does that big fly, which is like thirty-two bars of her like belting. And then it, it sometimes they're done with like a ah at the end, and then sometimes it's just straight belt till the note ends. But yeah, it's it's kind of unsure whether she does take the step. Also, there's a bit where she goes that Connie bit. She goes, "It's Maury Povich," <laughs> which I think. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she's just showing out. Maury and then Povich. some something about her mother crying diamonds as well. Uh, I think like throwing diamonds into the uh, into the crowd or something. Like her stepmother or like someone is throwing diamonds into the crowd. I think it's a mother-in-law, isn't it? That's it, mother-in-law. Yeah. Again, which I just think is like really interesting imagery. Because I, I was also trying to work out what that meant. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's kind of like, is it... I didn't know like... if it was like diamonds as in tears. Like she never liked me and now she's throwing diamonds to the crowd. I was getting the impression that it was sort of like since the mother-in-law never liked her and there's this kind of big like farce now of everybody stood watching this unfold. The throwing diamonds into the crowd is sort of like a handing out popcorn sort of yeah annotation oh, I, that's what I thought yeah oh my gosh yeah I didn't think of it like that yeah yeah that's how I read it I don't think it's it's very specific in what it, it means but I'm taking it as like the it's no, kind no, of no, like that's a... very very clever very clever oh, thank you <laughs> very clever I also love Jess Malaski does that bit where she's recounting um, all of the things that he like calls her basically where so she says um, you think I don't know about that or the things that you say to your friends every day I'm embarrassing I'm fat I'm demanding and controlling and then she does this very odd choice where she goes and whatever yeah <laughs> yeah it's so good it's so good you can really feel the rage I think in that moment <laughs> that moment <laughs> oh, it is an odd odd choice I do love it when if you you know when you're watching something and you're like, oh god, that was a really strange choice, but then it kind of works. Yeah, like, it makes you. Yeah, it makes you think about it. Yeah, like um, what was what was the thing in um Anything Goes? Um, your broccoli. That 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 choice. <laughs> it's just like it's such broccoli. a strong, it was such a strong choice, but I couldn't hear it any other way. In There Will Be Blood. I don't know if you ever seen that the Daniel Day Lewis movie. Um, it was like this, it's like this epic um, film all about like an oil tycoon. Oh, I've seen that. Like that. I have seen that. Yeah, and and the scene where the he's obviously like abandoned his child because his child got injured. It's really complicated. But there's a scene with the preacher where the preacher is like kind of mocking him on stage and he's telling him to like recount all his sins. But it's like a proper Baptist teacher, a preacher. So he's like, ah, you know, like being like say you're sorry blah, blah, blah. are you sorry for this and Daniel Day-Lewis's character is kind of like just going along with it for the crowd but he's getting visibly annoyed so he's like shouting out things he's like I abandoned my son and stuff and then for some reason the, it's like so heightened and Paul Dano as the preacher is like says something like are you sorry for what or uh, do you um give your life to God and Daniel Day-Lewis goes yes I do 
but like this really he's like yes i do <laughs> i love that you remember that that's so niche because it's so odd whenever i like see like whenever someone talks about there will be blood all that pops into my head is because he's just been like screaming he's been doing like daniel j lewis like blah, blah, blah. and then he just goes mm, yes i do <laughs> it's really weird. yeah but i feel like i feel like that's the same with like because okay so obviously all the new Harry, all the new Harry Potters, they're not new, they've been out for years, but all the, all the Harry Potter movies are now on Netflix. I feel like everyone's been re-watching them. Well, I definitely have. Um, and I feel like Voldemort's laugh is such a choice. Yeah, that, <laughs> like, eh, 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 eh. like, it's such a choice, but you know what? It just works. I really enjoy the, did you throw your name on the Goblet of Fire? Really like how fast <laughs> he delivers that line. <laughs> There are so many moments in Harry Potter that you're like, I can't believe that was left in. Well, that's the thing with that, like, did you throw your name into the Goblet of Fire thing? Isn't it? Like, the whole thing people say is, like, in the book or something. I don't remember. It says calmly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He says, like, he said calmly. It's like, Harry, did you throw your name in the Goblet of Fire? Oh, my God. I'm going to talk about I'm Not Afraid of Anything. I so I love this song um it's kind of one of the most understated songs in the show and I think it's one of the most interesting because on the face of it it doesn't really appear like the character is facing like any imminent kind of like choice or decision that she's got a battle with she's more just talking about her frustrations with like the people in her life so she's talking about um her children her parents and her husband And how she basically just thinks that she is so much like braver and more honest and more daring than they are. And this kind of distance between them, basically, and how she's ready to move on. She feels like they're stuck. Um, For me, the number, which is sang by Woman One, is as close to the audience than any other number is before. Uh, Because it offers so much for the listener to kind of identify with and it prompts so much within because of its kind of vagueness. Although it's specific to one woman's experiences, It traverses many feelings that people, women in particular, kind of go through in the period between being a teenager and becoming an adult. So I'm going to talk through some of the lyrics and do a bit of a lyric analysis um, and just discuss kind of what it prompts as like an audience for. So the woman begins by talking about her children. So she says, Jenny's afraid of water. I mean, she swims so well, but still she's afraid of water and she won't go near the sea, not me. And Casey's afraid of darkness. I mean, she sleeps and all, but still she's afraid of darkness. So when the lights are out, she has to hold my hand. I don't understand. Right. (laughs) It's quite a cold way to be talking about your children. It feels like really apathetic towards um, their kind of fears. It feels like she doesn't really have any understanding or empathy to why her children might be scared in this way. Despite the fact that it's always sang by kind of a woman who's in their 20s, so... There's not that much difference between her as a child. Um, We can really see like a distance, I think, between her childhood and where she is now. And it kind of prompts us to think that maybe she grew up too young or that her own kind of childlike fears were maybe dismissed by her parents um, and she had to grow out of them quickly. But it also is a feeling that many women have when they have children quite young and they feel caught between being a child themselves and between like becoming this maternal figure like I think of when I think of my parents like growing up I'm like oh they were adults and they like knew what they were doing and actually my mom had had well a couple years but my dad had was a parent by the time he was my age I'm like 
that is crazy to me <laughs> that like when he was bringing my sister up that is like he was I don't feel like an adult I feel yeah. like you know that thing that's like I'm just a 23 year old teenage girl like, I really <laughs> feel- I'm a child literally a child I still eat like a child and I'm like I need to sort out my life <laughs> I think that is a feeling that a lot of young parents have um is they're like I'm not ready to be this parental figure I don't feel like my parents felt me when I was a child so it kind of it speaks to me as that kind of caught between they don't feel ready to assume the kind of weight and responsibility that they perceive that their parents already had when they were bringing them up um obviously despite the fact that we've just talked about their parents were likely going through similar feelings this verse kind of makes me think of like a toddler walking around in their parents' shoes where they're like, they feel really grown up and adult, but actually they're just still like a little girl. Yeah. So she then proceeds with the chorus. She says, I'm not afraid of anything, be it mountains, water, dragons, darker sky. I'm not afraid of anything. Tell me where's the challenge if you never try. So watch me fly. So it's interesting that she chooses mountains, waters, dragons, darker sky. I don't know about you, but for me... All of those things are things that children are most often afraid of. So she's picking out, so what heights, kind of like swimming or drowning, mythical creatures or monsters, the dark. But I think what's quite interesting is the word fly. So she says, be it mountains, water, dragons, darker sky, and then watch me fly. Um, it's, it's not something that people are, children are often afraid of, is it? The sky, unless you're like chicken licking. Being like the sky is falling. Chicken chicken. Chicken chicken. Yeah. No, it's ch- I know that you think that you're right, but the original story is chicken looking. I promise you. I know you think I, you're right, but no, I'm gonna like, I will Rosa, not be, I love I will, that. I know you I, think honestly, you're right, but I'm gonna tell you you're wrong. <laughs> I'm not gonna change the I, podcast I, to chicken little. But I will not have it. I've said this before and I've been ridiculed. It is, it's more commonly known in the United States as Chicken Little, but it's Chicken Lickin'. Why? I think the original, because it's like a European folktale, I think the original was Henny Penny. But why Chicken Lickin'? Isn't that like, that's Chicken Lickin' good? That Yeah, that just reminds me of KFC. Yeah, but it was written like way before KFC. It's like a really famous (laughs) fable. Someone just loves KFC and was like, I have to write a story about a small chicken. I love how we'll have, have to uh, to distinguish like pre-KFC, post-KFC. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it makes sense though, because the other animals are called like Foxy Loxy or things like that. Like that rhyming pattern, it's chicken licking. Oh my oh, God. I promise you it's chicken licking, man. I feel like this is when like people were like, you know, it's actually Nike, not Nike, and people went mad. <laughs> like this is what this is. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> children aren't really often scared of the sky. I wouldn't say. So I think it's a really interesting thing that she has decided to focus on. So for me, because she, she uses the word fly and she talks about flying a lot in the song. For me, it's quite childlike, basically. Like, flying's quite a childlike dream. That's something that you think of when you're younger because you're associating it with, like, superheroes 
or like you're like oh I would love to fly there's something that's really I always think of like we're walking in the air like that's quite a childlike there's an innocence isn't there and I think for the woman in the song flying could refer to kind of her sense of adventure or her embracing the unknown which she's kind of constantly seeking um but I also think it reflects her isolation Flying, in the childish definition, is something that superheroes do by themselves. Superman, Batman, they are lonely figures in the end. The evil that they fight and the adventures that they go on are often solo missions um, that bring danger to the people that they love. They live a hidden life, often shielding from their partners and their family, their alter egos. So for me, it makes me think, yep, she's flying, she's happy to do this, but at what cost? And who really knows her? What kind of barriers has she put in place? So she moves on to talk about her parents now. It is also worth mentioning, she does not mention the children for the rest of the song, which I'm a bit like, <laughs> all right, Islam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so she says, Daddy's afraid. This is one of my favorite lyrics for the social. Daddy's afraid of babies. I mean, he got through me, but now he's afraid of babies. Guess he's scared of what they'll be, not me. Oh, I just love that. And mum is afraid of crying. You know, she tries to hold it in. She's afraid of crying. And she can look at me with tears stuck in her eye. And I don't know why. So we're getting a little bit more clarity, I think, on why this woman maybe has some distance with her children. Yeah. Clearly, she has not had a great upbringing. We can glean a kind of few things. So her relationship with her father is clearly not good. He got through me does not denote a childhood filled with love and affection or kind of unity. It just seems like it was something a duty that he had to fulfill um that kind of lyric to me speaks of quite a coldness between them two a father not really willing to reach out and understand his daughter and not willing to see her as like a full person much in the same way that she's seeing her children right now she's kind of reducing them down to their fears guess he's scared of what they'll be not me with this line the woman is suggesting that her relationship with her daughters is somehow different to the one that she had with her father but that's not really what we inferred from that first verse so this is the kind of first bit of like delusion <laughs> we almost see. It appears to us that she's just as emotionally distant from those that she loves as her parents were with her, yet she believes that she's kind of broken through some intergenerational trauma that she holds. So now we kick into the chorus. And this is a really exciting bit. The music really picks up. Her voice really takes on like a new form. She says, and I feel the calling of adventure and I hear the ringing in my ear. The lights are glaring, trumpets blaring. I'm right here. And I hear calling of tomorrow and I feel the stirring in my bones and then hold on a minute what's come out and David loves me he's afraid to hold me yeah it's it's a real u-turn yeah exactly I think also like I know I'm slightly backtracking but you know he talked about the air bit and how you talked about mm-hmm. it being quite lonely quite isolating I think also like you can also see like the air is like quite free and like quite because it's 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 endless like if you look up at the sky it's like it's infinite so maybe that's her like wanting to have a sense of freedom and I also question whether or not she maybe this looking into the the, you know character too much maybe she suffered with postpartum depression after having her child and maybe and maybe you know part of that kind of feeling of like having a like not wanting to have a child necessarily maybe came from her parents where she saw their kind of maybe like resentment she then when she had a child was like I also feel the same way yeah definitely agree like I think 
thing about the sky, yeah, there's infinite possibilities, isn't it? That's the whole. That's the yeah. Whole I thing. think when I think when you're a child, the sky is the biggest thing. Yeah. That's like that's the the you know, you don't really think beyond the sky, which I think is is quite a childish sort of but thought. But you're not necessarily afraid of it. I just find that no, such yeah. a funny thing yeah. that she's grouped in with everything else. But I don't maybe think you're afraid of this. Maybe she's afraid of freedom. Like maybe she's afraid to see like what the world has out there because of the world yeah. that she's currently living. This is this is one of the songs where I was struggling to find out what was actually going on. Like during the song, I, I felt like it was like I was following along with the lyrics and as she was talking about it. And it was making a little bit more sense now that you've kind of dived into it. But I think it's one of those songs where it's like it's kind of just a dip into her psyche rather than it being like just one step where you've kind of got this whole whole story kind of laid out and you can sort of yeah. see, even though we don't hear about that woman's beginning middle and end you can sort of see where that would be going whereas with this song I feel like it is sort of like a droplet into you know a drop in the water of what's actually going on within her life and this is sort of like a tiny little snippet of her mindset and what she's thinking and feeling and it might it might be done purpose purposefully that it's well, not I, that's what I was about to say it is like del- the whole point of it is that it's deliberately vague and it yeah. is meant for us to inter- interpret yeah exactly and it's meant for us to find bits that we kind of hold on to as well and we can recognize those feelings yeah I also think going way back now um I think as well there's something in that like when she's saying oh I don't understand how my kids can be afraid of this I think it's she's sometimes I think she's saying I don't understand how to comfort them right like I don't understand what to do and like that's maybe where that disconnect is but I think you're right as well I think it also speaks of a postpartum yeah that kind of distance that sometimes mothers and fathers um can feel with their with their children well on on wikipedia weirdly enough someone said that this song is about a young woman reflecting on the fears of the people she loves and then comes to realize how they have held her back see i just i disagree yeah isn't that interesting i think she presents other people's fears as what's held her back and i think by the end she realizes it's her own fear of letting anyone in that is holding her back. Yeah. But we will continue. So David's just come into the picture. So she's been going off on this like proclamation of her desire to like get out there and live and like this kind of current that is pulling her arguably away from her family to like leave and follow adventure. But hold on a minute. Who's David? And why is he kind of like jarred her thoughts in this way? Because it is really different. Like, the music's really like ramping up. There's like this crescendo, the tempo's picking up, and then suddenly it's like bum da bum, and then it's like and Dave loves me, and it you know it feels like this has just come out of nowhere. I can't, I can't not hear Myra Rose saying David. <laughs> David. <laughs> David. <laughs> I'd like to see that version. <laughs> David. <laughs> And David loves uh, me. There you go. Very good. That's what I was waiting for. That's what everyone at home was waiting for. <laughs> so good. Oh, oh my God. Sorry, I've probably completely thrown you off. <laughs> no, don't worry. Um, so we can assume that David is probably her husband. 
he's afraid to hold me she says and this line really as i've said it stops the music slows it right down and then she takes a beat before she says uh which before she picks back up and it feels like a breath like it feels like she's taking like this moment to like it feels like it's caught her off guard as well she tries to pick back up again to kind of resign herself to adventure um so the tempo picks back up and yet again she is stopped by a further thought of david and david loves me he's afraid to tell me david loves me he's afraid to trust me he's afraid to hold me he'll always be he's afraid of me and i'm not afraid of anything very interesting love mm. i would say suddenly it's all about david he's consuming your thoughts <laughs> so for me this is the big turning point before we might have believed her kind of distance or believed her bravado about how bigger and better and braver she is than her family how she doesn't need them but now it fully reads and i don't think this is a inherently bad negative word but it's it's delusion really because every thought of her actually getting out and going on this adventure is interrupted by her thoughts of david and the issues that cloud them um and the barriers that she has perhaps put in place that stop David from connecting with her. If you notice, everything is he's afraid to tell me, he's afraid to trust me, he's afraid to hold me, um, and it's not anything that she's kind of putting out to him. It doesn't, you know, she's not saying I'm reaching out to David and he's not, he's not reciprocating. He's afraid to kind of get to that that point with her. So the song kind of now reads to me as a young girl who's desperately trying to like work through many of the issues that her upbringing has perhaps given her. So the issues of being caught between childhood and adulthood and the walls that you've kind of put up in place to stop anyone from seeing you, kind of intergenerational trauma stuff. And it's not really too much of a song about being on the precipice of something. Rather, it's a song about being on the precipice of being on the precipice of something, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's about the work that you have to do before you get to the point of realizing what you've got to do like I don't think you can even articulate or recognize at this point what is going on and what's going wrong in each of these relationships she just knows something's not right and for her the response is to like to have flight and to go but these kind of little flashes keep coming right it feels like someone trying to like desperately understand what her fears what her motivations mean whilst convincing the world that she has none um so then we have this kind of last uh verse which is just gorgeous um so she goes off about how she's not afraid of anything again and she says i'm sure to win with anyone at all i'm not afraid of anyone not a soul alive can get behind this wall so first first bit that she's admitting that she's got a bit of a barrier <laughs> she's got a bit of a wall up to the people that she loves so not a soul alive can get behind this wall so let them call and watch them fall because after all I'm not beat afraid. So her last verse is key. So let them call. So if you're trying to convince us that you don't really care if no one gets behind this wall that you put up, why let someone try at all? It reads to me as like an invitation. So let them call. It feels like a challenge to David, like, please come and get me. Please try, even though I think that you won't be able to. And then I think what's even more interesting, especially with what, with what you were talking about earlier, Flo, with the, was it Hemelian? Hemiolas. Hemiolas. <laughs> Very Hemiolas. close. That well-known disease. 
<laughs> it feels like something a town crier would be like, Emiolas, coming to you, get your Emiolas. Three for a pound. <laughs> Three. Three for a tuppence. There you go. <laughs> it all comes back. It's almost like we're doing a song cycle. It all <laughs> <laughs> um, But I think for this, uh, the Emiolas, I think this is where they might come in. So what I think is very interesting about this end bit, she's been talking all throughout the song, she's been going, I'm not afraid of anything. But on the last line, there is a deliberate and definite pause between I'm not and afraid. So it goes, I'm not afraid. Or much nicer if you're Andrea Burns. Um... Her last word for that full song is afraid. And it's disconnected with the other part of the sentence. So the last line that she ends on, the conclusion that she comes to at the end of the song, I think, is, yeah, you are in fact afraid. She's afraid. And it would be interesting to see if you, like, maybe I'm wrong and the hemioma doesn't hear, but it would be interesting to hear in that number if that's where that appears and that's where the fo- where Jason Robert Brown wants to focus. Yeah. So I think... This like isolated word because the music halts as well, and it's like a such a deliberate pause. It serves as her conclusion that she is indeed afraid, and the realization of that might be the final breakthrough to her arriving at the precipice of something new. So she's at the point where she's maybe ready to make a decision or knows what she needs to tackle. I think the song is just like so. I know that we've just been through the whole thing, so apologies, listeners. Um, because I'm sure you're like I could have listened to it love Um, but I think the song is just so wonderfully designed not only does it ask questions of her character and her intentions but it's deliberately vague enough that it prompts questions in us too and it kind of asks the question like what do you need to work through to arrive at your moment of decision so after that barrage of lyrical analysis I think it would be good to find out from you guys what is your most skippable song on the soundtrack and what are some of your favorite lyrics so let's do let's do favorite lyrics first so Flo any kind of favorite lyrics you've got from the show well one of my favorite okay this is like not answering a question at all but my favorite song from the show um one of them because I've got lots one of them is stars and the moon because uh, we looked at it in drama school and I really, really liked the song when we were looking at it because I just never heard a song like it before. And I really, really like her line where she says, I'll give you the truth. Um, yeah, where she's basically talking about um, one of her, what, what one of her husbands would be offering her. And she says, I'll give you the truth and a future that's 20 times better than any Hollywood plot. And I thought, you know, I'd rather have a yacht. <laughs> yeah, which is just cool. like I love that song because there's so many like funny bits in it where she even says like I'd rather have champagne like there's just so many bits which I just think are really funny what about you Rosa though what's your favorite lyric so I have I I really enjoy there's a song called she cries which is basically about this guy who's in love with this girl and I'm not sure if she treats him that nicely um but he's just like basically I'll do anything for her and even when she treats me like shit like I just love her um which is obviously not a nice thing but there's a really nice line in it um that is there's a couple of things I've learned on the many roads I've taken flames are not what get you burned it's the coals in the ice here's a piece of advice I got from a little bird 
the flames can get you stirred. It's the cold that leaves you shaken. Which is very wordy and yeah. it's very like clever. There's lots of different rhyming portions to it, but I just the cold that it's the cold that leaves you shaken, I think is a really nice like imagery. I really like that, especially because like fire, people talk about fire as like a destroyer, but really it's like a in kind of folklore it's used as like renewal, isn't it? Like the phoenix rising. Also, from the quite ashes. spiritual. Exactly, like yeah. you burn, it, it's meant to be something new. So I think I quite like that because it ties in with what he's like. The fire is the new world. It's the making the space for something different. But yeah. What about you, Casey? Um, I really, um, really like the the line from the same song, and she cries. That she smile. Is it? She smiles, and you'll stay forever. Um, she screams. Well, that's the price you pay. I'm like, oh, oh God, poor guy. He's been through a lot. <laughs> there are so many moments in this which are really heartbreaking, like really, really heartbreaking. Like the one yeah. about the, I think it's the one flying home about like the is it is it about the sailor who's like or something it's who's not the guy who's died. died. Yeah, yeah, and he wants, he basically is talking about returning home, but he's died. It's basically his body yeah. returning home. It's not him. And that, it, it, in its, the song is really, really sad when you know what it's actually about. Yeah. God, Jason Robert Brown, man. He really does know how to. Right. He's, okay. And on that note, what's everyone's <laughs> skippable song? <laughs> Mine. Oh, hear my song. I think it's yeah. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Like when you like listening to it sung by like a group of people, it's like that's quite pretty. But it's also a bit of a snooze fest. Sorry, snooze like we, fest. <laughs> we had to sing it for um, our show in college. We did like a little, just like a mishmash of everything, like a bit of an extravaganza, and we did hear my song. <laughs> and extravaganza. It was. It was just a, a mix of everything, very eclectic. And it, we finished on here my song, and I was just like, "You want to go out on something like a bang. country, yeah?" And here maybe was he was like, like "Oh, let's probably try to wrap this up. Let's try to close this story in." <laughs> uh, it gives me the same vibes as oh God. I was in Spring Awakening. I can't remember what the last song is. A song of Purple Summer. Oh yeah, that's another one where I'm just anticlimactic. Like, yeah, very anticlimactic. It's just very boring. And Spring Awakening, I do. I think it's a really clever show. I really enjoy it. But uh it's not. It's not my favorite. But I do think that it just ends on like the worst song of the show. Agreed. I never. I never listened to that song. That show was. That's my skippable song of that show. Yeah. Yeah. Shame. No, I'm the same. I'm with you, Casey. I think here my song is. I think it's nice. Like I think it's fine. But compared but like, to the other I ones it, in the show, yeah, I think as well. If you've like, I actually think that flying home or like I think that should have been the end song, and then they should have found a way to like bring everybody else Loop in. Loop it you know back I mean? because to... I actually think it's weirdly nice to end on a death because death is also a new beginning. Yeah, that's true. So, like. Think Jason. Like, Robert Brown, hi and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, controversially, I my skippable song would be the Santa song. 
Oh, Surabaya Santa. Yeah, I just, I start listening to it and I just get irritated, but it might just be that particular cast recording. But I, any song that's like quite like a specific character where they're like, I'm playing a character, like that kind of thing. It, it grates me and I can't listen to it over and over. Like the first we to it, you're like, well, that was a funny song. But kind of like the next time you're a bit like, oh, if it's like, you know, 7am in the morning and you're on your way to work, your commute, you don't really want to be listening to a Santa song. You maybe want to listen to like, you know, the opening, the new world. Because um, it's, it's based on a, like a Kurt Vile style of song, I think. So yeah. it's got that kind of Brechtian. Like... It feels very like threepenny opera. That's like the best way well, to describe yeah. it. I yeah. Mean, it's Kurt Vile. So yeah. It, it feels like that. Opera. Yeah. Yeah. It is very like, wow, it's very blood of my eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love Anyone this character that? that you've developed. Where it's like over the episodes, like it's like this cockney character who probably features in like Sweeney Todd or like Lay Miz. Well, it's, it's because me and Ewan were watching Silo the other day and he was like Oh, if we like, if we all had to go underground in society, had to start fresh. Like, what job would you have? And I'd said like, oh, I think I'd be like a baker or something. And he was like, <laughs> you'd be the town crier. And he was saying that I'd be like, get your newspapers here. World's got a rye. <laughs> Which I just thought was very good. That's so funny. Have you got a bell? <laughs> I think it'd have like a like a horn or something. <laughs> it's very fancy I like that well that takes us on very nicely into one of my favourite bits of our show uh, which is the uh, magic generator now this is very exciting because every single episode we have the chance to do our very own fantasy casting but this is extra special because we have a magic generator to help us. And it's so magic that with a touch of a button, Rosa will produce a number of random names that we now have to cast. Now, these names, they could be well-known musical theatre performers. They could be actors. They may be actresses, TV personalities, as well as a few wild cards. So without further ado, who have we got auditioning today, Rosa? <laughs> auditioning? That's Audition- I say that every single episode. Oh, do you? <laughs> Devastating. First up uh, to enter the casting room is Melissa Joan Hart. Now, Sabrina. I was also just Sabrina the Teenage Witch. <laughs> now she's an evangelical Christian. I tell you what, though, this is actually yeah. really hard because none of the parts have like a visual look to them. Well, what I was going to say is maybe we should assign them a song that we could see them singing. Okay, oh, regardless cool. of if they can yeah. sing or not regardless okay so melissa joan hart she's entered the casting room i'm not afraid of anything go that's (laughs) what i'd say bang there's the sheet music go (laughs) i'd say the same thing i think it's because although actually no because we kind of talked about how this this woman might have had children really young and i'm not sure how old melissa joan hart is now but i think she's in a Late forties, I think, isn't she? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I could see her doing. I'm not afraid of anything. Actually, you know what? I could see her doing. I could see her doing a Stars and Moon moment, where she's yes. in like a little fur jacket and she's like smoking a little cigarette. Yeah, yeah, smoking a bog, being like, 
Very good. <laughs> I'd rather have a yet. <laughs> who who else have we got in? Okay, okay. Uh, Robert Pattinson has entered the chat. Oh, okay. Oh, Robert's hard, but I could see him like being very like method actor, like him and the Batman doing um on the deck of a spanish sailing ship i was just about to say that yeah but as like as a dramatic monologue like he doesn't sing it yeah no singing robert. <laughs> <laughs> no singing from robert pattinson we don't need to hear robert pattinson sing yeah you never know he might have the voice of an angel questionable <laughs> you know what i'm waiting yeah. for i'm waiting for someone to make a twilight musical Oh, it'll happen. I think there has been, yeah. Really? I mean, I saw that there was a Twilight spoof musical at Edinburgh Fringe this year, which I really, really wanted to go see. But yeah, I could imagine there'd be someone out there being like, our next musical is going to be Twilight, the saga. Bring it on. But what would they even... It'd be one, it'd be like eight hours long. One of the songs... One of the songs would be like Crystal Skin. And it would be about him like singing about his... Crystal being like, don't look at me. Like that would be one of his well, songs. Think how many songs that they could do. They could do like a whole like first ballad plus two reprises yeah. of like songs of him just watching her sleep. Exactly. Oh, very creepy. And the baseball game, that would be very fun to sing. Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? But I don't think this is my thing with Twilight. Weird that we all thought it was so sexy at the time because now You rewatch like... it now and you're like, no, that is embarrassing. That's really <laughs> That's not okay. But when um when he's like so the uh, so the lion fell in love with the lamb, and then she says something like what a, he says what a stupid lion and she's like what a silly lamb <laughs> like that. She in that movie. There's so many moments you are like, why did you make that acting choice? Like, like for the whole thing. Like it's just it's yeah. I I never got onto the Twilight hype. I was. I, I literally remember watching the first one and being like, why is everybody <laughs> enjoying Raving. this? I, I found it so... I don't know. I think Kristen Stewart, I really don't like... I really don't like her um, in Twilight. I th- I'm just like, why Why are you making that choice? It's all the... the the Yeah, the awkward. <laughs> she mo- she just moans her way through the, f- the film. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's down to her because I think one, she's grown as an actress now and I think she's actually very good but I also think that he makes a lot of weird choices as well, like yeah. that bit where she comes into the classroom and like, obviously the whole thing is that like, her smell is so overwhelmingly good or something like that, but he's <laughs> like have you seen that when she walks into the classroom and he's like <laughs> essentially throwing up like in his... <laughs> so stupid when you describe it like, like that oh. it's so <laughs> stupid and then she's like oh my god like then they're talking about it she's like i thought i smelled and he was like smelled so good oh <laughs> so if he wasn't a vampire and he was just like a normal person you'd be like he's a walking red flag <laughs> <laughs> well also, there is an interview with robert pattinson where he they're like oh my god so like do you, what do you think about Edward? Like, it's so romantic. And he's like, he's a 110-year-old virgin. Like, he's creepy. Yeah, creepy. Is, 
horrible to say, but I am like, it's not the virgin part, but more creepy that he's 110 being like, this 17 year old is that's playing that part. Who I want. There's another weird acting choice in there where just that scene where she goes, you named my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster. Oh my God. So good. That delivery so, just so good. I feel like I need to start rewatching them now. I think they're all on Netflix. Actually, what we can't believe we've not even mentioned uh, Jacob's Bella. Where have you been, Loka? Loka. <laughs> Where the so hell have cringy. you been, Loka? It's so cringy. Oh well, Rosa, give us one more. Okay, last one. Last, uh, last one for the day. We have. All right. Demi Lovato. Oh, okay. So basically, she can sing any part in this. I know we've just talked about this, but I would love her to sing on the deck of a Spanish sailing ship. I know it's not female, but her her voice with this song would be mm. stunning. I could see her doing a little just one step moment. Yeah. And it being very funny. And she she mm. could do that lovely belt at the end that's like 32 bars of just like yeah. yeah. I think I... In my head, though, I feel like just one step. I feel like I, I want a, an older lady. I want like a... Oh, I'm talking like Demi Lovato in 20 years. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> so, Demi, you didn't get the part, but you did get it in 20 years' time. I was like, Demi, tell your agent to call me in 2043. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God, 2043. <laughs> wow. Ooh, I'll be 46. Oh, let's not play that game. Let's not. Play yeah, let's probably not do the <laughs> counting game. <laughs> well, what an eclectic little production of songs for a new world we've got there. Um, that's set in twenty years, apparently. So twenty <laughs> twenty forty three coming to a theatre near you. We'll have Demi Lovato. So there's no guest performer slot this week, sadly, due to scheduling conflicts, but we are still on the lookout for anyone who fancies recording a song for our social media and coming on the pod to talk about the show we're covering. If this sounds like something you'd like to be involved in, you can apply for our guest performer slot by clicking on our link tree in our podcast description and filling in our short application form. It's a really open process and after you apply, we'll keep you in our talent pool and reach out if we're covering a show we think you'd sound great covering a song from. So what are you waiting for? Click the link tree and apply for the pod. And just like that, we've been a new world. Bye. Bye.